Rachel was just saying is that when we are singing, we are making declarations with our mouth and we are making declarations that are in agreement with what God says over our circumstances. Our circumstances don't determine the truth. The truth determines our circumstance. So what she was just saying is we're basically commanding our circumstances, our health, our finances, our families, our marriages, our communities, our schools to come in alignment with what the word of God says. And God needs people who are willing to speak into that, not asking it, but commanding it. And the thing, this was really good. Last week, uh, we wrapped up a lab, um, And the distinction that we made in the lab is because I thought this was a really good question is one of the participants said, you know, I feel bad. I don't know that I'm supposed to command because I feel like that's being haughty, like telling God what to do. And you're not commanding God. The important distinction is you're not commanding God. You're taking the authority that God has given you and you are commanding the life around you to come into alignment with what God has established. So his word, Jesus says, when we pray on earth, we pray our father who is in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So say that. So what we're saying is everything here needs to reflect and look like what God has established in the kingdom realm. And the way that he does that is through your declaration, you commanding it. So right now I want you to think of whatever it is, like Rachel was just having us sing. So think of whatever it is, whether there's something in your physical body, in the physical body of somebody that you love, if it's something in your marriage, if it's something in your home, if it's something in your job, whatever it is, whatever realm of life, if it's like my whole life is a hot mess, I'm going to speak this over my whole life right now. I want you to say this. I'm going to say it and then you say it because Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. He didn't say it. It doesn't mean that this is the only way that you can pray, but he was setting up a model for us. And when model establishes, Jesus is saying, when I pray, God is saying, I want to use your prayer to move things, to bring things into alignment. So repeat after me, our father, Father, who is in heaven, heaven. holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now submit whatever the situation is, whatever the circumstances, and just release the kingdom of heaven over that. You just declared it with your mouth. You commanded it with your mouth. If you don't know anything else to pray, just say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Now... I want you to extend your hand and put a hand on somebody's shoulder uh, in the most church-appropriate manner. (laughs) Extend your hand. Find somebody to put a hand on around you. And if you don't have a hand on you, then grab somebody and say, I need somebody to put a hand on me. And now I want you to say this over them. In the name of Jesus, Jesus. God's kingdom come. His will be done done. on earth earth. as it is in heaven in in my friend's life. life. In Jesus' name. name. Amen. 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 You just moved mountains. You just moved mountains. 
Are you tired? No, we're just getting started, right? Yeah. So turn to somebody and say, we're getting ready to move mountains today. Yeah. Thank you, James. Thank you. So just a little behind the scenes information. At 2.30 yesterday, we didn't know if we were going to have worship this morning. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Our uh, several members of the worship team are uh, conquering in the health and wellness realm. And uh, so there was some challenge. So this morning, what you heard was completely on the fly. Hey, let's just go with it. Right? Rachel, thank you for everything that you do and for pushing through. And if you guys would agree with me too, I want to be respectful. But if you would just agree with me, because a particular member of our worship team is battling health-wise, and we're commanding in the name of Jesus the things that would stand, that mountains be dissolved and removed in Jesus' name. Yes. So, again, I want to be respectful. So that kind of sounded weird, but I'm trying to be respectful of privacy. How's it? God knows. Okay. So if I've never met you before, my name is Lynette and, uh, I am part of the pioneering team here at Cowboy Church. I say team, like it sounds like it was my husband and I. So (laughs) anyway, he is in California this morning and with our family there at Kingdom Ranch Cowboy Church in Merced, California. And, uh, so you get me this morning. Yay. So before we get into the message today, I want to uh, give you guys a couple of little tidbits of information of fun things that are happening here. Uh, a while back, uh, God really, I've been wanting to do something for quite some time, but finally I just decided, okay, I don't know what I'm doing, but that's pretty much how I do everything. I don't know what I'm doing, so God, I'm just going to trust you <laughs> to show me what to do. And some of you may have seen uh, on the fourth Sunday of every month, we have young people who have a lanyard on that says uh, young servant leaders on it. And the reason you've only seen a few of them is because I launched this program and I asked that we just keep it to people who are serving in the church and allowing their kids to be part of that because I didn't know what I was doing and I was fairly certain I would make quite a few mistakes. And typically people who are serving uh, are pretty forgiving of those mistakes. Not saying that those of you who are not serving are not. However, I know they are. So (laughs) I started with their kids. So anyway, young servant leaders, you'll see their tags. It's called YSL. And the vision behind that is it is very simply engaging our young people in the highest form of leadership, which is servanthood. And it's teaching them how to be servants. And it is inspiring on the inside of them ownership 
in their church. It is developing belonging and importance in who they are in the body of Christ. It is mentorship because what they do is they sign up uh, to serve on one of the teams here at the church and uh, they have a partner that they serve with, whether they're serving in the sound or the media booth, whether they're serving in kids church or on the usher team, the hospitality team, you can be an armor bearer. You can, I mean, there's lots of different opportunities. You can be part of the prayer ministry that takes place after service. So they get to partner with somebody uh, on one of those teams and uh, do ministry with them that morning. And it also is, uh, my passion is inspiring in them a lifelong passion to serve God. So what that happens is on the fourth Sunday of every month, month, munch, <laughs> the fourth Sunday of every month, which coincides with our family service. So if your kids are in here, there's some positions that they serve the entire uh, service. I know that one of our young ladies serves in the media booth, and I heard that she's actually better at running the camera than the media. <laughs> She loves it. So anyway, um, it's the fourth Sunday of every month and the sign up for that comes out on the second Tuesday of every month and it comes out through the planning center app. So if you don't have the planning center app and you want your kids to be part of that, download the planning center app. That's the app that we use for all of our communication and signups for the church. It's not selling your information. Anybody, your information is completely kept uh, private. And so anyway, that's where it comes out and it's, uh, in the little tab that says sign up. So you can find all the different opportunities, the explanation of all of them. And it's typically for kids four and up, uh, because it's not a babysitting program. Uh, the kids are serving. And like I said, I mean, they're in the sound booth and the media booth. And so, uh, anyway, it's an amazing opportunity. And I love seeing you see them up here praying and I think they're amazing. I just love watching what our kids are doing. They're inspiring. Amen. Amen. Yes. Uh, the second thing I want you to know is this afternoon, probably around 11 o'clock ish, you're going to be getting a text message from the planning center app. If you are signed up in planning center, you're going to get a text message and you're going to be told that you can opt out of this text message if you would like. But what it is, is we're coming into that time of year where if there are church cancellations, we were looking for a really streamlined way of letting you know that so that you know if you need to get up and uh, get dressed or if you need to get up and make an extra cup of coffee and stay in your jammies on Sunday morning. So we'll be able to use this to send out messages to you that are uh, emergency type messages like closures. We would use it to just remind you that our services move to the Greeley Stampede uh, rodeo grounds on a Sunday morning. We will not be sending text messages for every meeting and everything that's coming up and to tell you uh, what ball cap pastor is going to be wearing that day. That's just not, that's not it. So anyway, you'll get that message this afternoon at some time. So we just wanted to give you a heads up about that. And uh, if you don't care, then opt out. There you go. All right. <laughs> All right. So are you guys ready to jump in today? Yes. All right. Let's jump in and let's go. Once again, I just want to welcome our Kingdom Ranch family in Merced, California. Yes. All right. So I have found it very interesting over the past two weeks, uh, starting with CW's message and the vein that CW was ministering in, I actually talked to Rhett and I said, hey, so do you feel like what you're going to minister follows well with what CW ministered? Because 
what I have in me and what I am feeling that I'm supposed to share goes really well. And he said, yeah, I think it goes good. And I was like, okay, whatever. Anyhow, no. (laughs) So then he gets up and ministers last week and I thought, oh my gosh, God is definitely got us in a vein and I see a thread that God is communicating to us. And so I want to preface what we're going to talk about this morning with the knowledge, because then I also know what Darren is going to be ministering. And I see that God is preparing us. There is definitely a a really focused time of preparation right now. And the way that I see preparation is God is saying, here, I'm going to tell you where the curves in the road are so that you are traveling at the proper speed to maneuver the curves so that the curves don't cause destruction, but the curves can actually be quite exhilarating and exciting, right? Um, I, I don't know, like when you go through the curves, like if you slow down at the right point, then you accelerate through the curve and it's like actually a, a good thing. If I'm driving, if I'm in the car with somebody else that's doing that, I'm like, slow down! <laughs> anyway, alright, uh, <clears throat> so, um, I'm just gonna put it this way for the sake of being, uh, respectful of identities and things. Um, several years ago, I had a coworker, and this person was a challenge for me. <laughs> Nobody in here has ever had anybody around you that's like that. No, I need you all to extend a hand and pray for me right now. (laughs) This individual, I shouldn't say this person was a challenge. There was a spirit that was operating unhindered through this person that was a provoking spirit to me. And I could handle everything until that spirit would lash out and be mean and degrading to other people. I would then, because I have a very strong mama bear way about me, all the mama bears in the house, can I get an amen? Amen. I would get very protective. And I'm going to be honest, I would pick up a borrowed offense. I would, they weren't lashing out at me at the moment, but they were lashing out at somebody else that was very important to me. And so I would pick up an offense at the way they were treating this other person. To the point where we actually would, another person that I worked with and I would gather together and we would say, okay, if this person does this this morning, or if they do that again, then we're going to say this to them and we're not going to let them get away with that. We're not going to let them talk to people that way anymore. Like literally we would psych ourselves up, (laughs) get together. Well, what would end up happening more times than I would like to say is I would be in a situation where this spirit would come out through this person and it would provoke me to a place where I would say something or do something that was outside of what is becoming of my character. And it would cause me to step, excuse me, to step outside of who I am. And something would come out of my mouth in a moment, and I meant it in the moment. Okay, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm full on. I am behind what I just said right now because that is not okay, what you just did. But I would come out in a way that is not 
characteristic of who I am. Then after I would do that, how many of you know when you say words, you can't take them back? They're out there for the whole room to hear. And typically, it would spread beyond the room. And so I then I would feel guilty. I would feel ashamed. I would feel embarrassed that I acted the way that I did. And I would rehearse it in my head over and over and over again. Like, what should I have done? What should I have said? How should I have handled that? And the next time I won't do it this way, I'll do it this way. So there was all of this regret and shame that I'm rehearsing in my mind. And then I'm carrying that the next time I go into a room with this person and I'm, I'm like, I'm wanting to handle this right, but then it's right there on the surface. So all it takes is just this and bam, I'm there again. I feel the emotion coming up again. And even if I don't say it out of my mouth, I know the thoughts that I'm having in my head about this individual. Well, let me tell you, this is nothing new. So if you have your Bibles or your phone and you want to go with me, I'm going to read out of Genesis, which is super easy to find if you're brand new to the Bible. It's in the very beginning. So you don't have to flip a lot of pages to get there. And I'm going to start out reading out of Genesis chapter 2. And at first I'm going to read out of the King James. And then I'm going to go um, into the Passion Translation. So Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 8, says this. <clears throat> the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Can we just pause here for just a moment? I want you to recognize that God always gives us choices. We always are asking, you know, you ask God, Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? And for what I have found is that when there's a, a, a big decision to be made, there's always a fork in the road, meaning I will have more than one choice. And a lot of times, if you are, if you are in the situation and God, you feel like is being silent, a lot of times what it means is God is actually giving you two options and God is waiting to see which option you're going to choose. So in the garden, it's not like God created all of heaven and earth and then put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil on the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. That would be super hard to get to. He put it right in the middle of where they were. Why? Because he wants you to have a choice. Obedience isn't obedience unless it's a choice. If it's the only thing, it's just the command. It's just you doing what you have a leash on to do. This God gives us a choice. He goes on Genesis 2:15, and he says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Say that to your neighbor. Freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now go on with me over to Genesis chapter three. So what's happened is God has created man and woman and he's put them in the garden. They're tending it. Life is great. He comes and he walks with man and woman in the garden and he shares with them. They exchange ideas. They laugh together. They get Starbucks together. I mean, everything is great, right? Until chapter three in the passion translation, it says this. Now the snake was the most cunning of all the living beings that Yahweh God had made. He deviously asked the woman, 
did God really tell you you must not eat uh, the fruit from any tree in the garden? But the woman interrupted right there. The men can say, yeah, nothing has changed. <laughs> the woman interrupted. We may eat the fruit of any tree in the garden except the tree in the center of the garden. God told us, don't eat its fruit or even touch it or you'll die. But the the snake said to her, you certainly won't die. God knows that in the moment you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing both good from evil. What happens then is the woman sees that the tree is good for food, and she partakes of the fruit and gives it to the man who is with her. In verse 7, it says, Immediately their eyes were opened, and they realized they were naked, vulnerable, and ashamed, so they sewed fig leaves together for covering. So what happened is Adam and Eve chose to eat the fruit. It was a choice that was put in front of them because when God gives us a choice, he's looking for our obedience. So when Adam and Eve chose the fruit, they not only chose the fruit, they didn't choose God. They not only chose to sin, they chose to disobey God. And in choosing to disobey God, they chose to obey the one who was deceiving them and provoking them to disobedience. So the, the choice that was put in front of them caused them to act, to choose and act outside of who they were created to be. Because the Bible tells us earlier in Genesis that God created man in his own likeness and in his image he created them male and female. So when the enemy comes and provokes them with a choice, with a temptation, he's provoking them to step outside of who they are and the image that they were created in. Because then it says that the moment that they did that, that they realized that they were naked, that they were ashamed. That word naked, when you look it up in the Hebrew, it actually has a connotation along with it of smoothness, of cunningness, Of craftiness, who was smooth and cunning and crafty? The serpent. So not only did they lose the image and the intimacy with God, they actually became like the one that they chose to follow. So in that moment that they were given this choice that the serpent comes and gives a deceptive moment to create an opportunity for them to make a choice that takes them outside of the image that they were created in, and now they have become like the one that they chose to follow. There is nothing new under the sun. It is the same deception just wrapped in different paper. It's the same thing. But see, here's the thing is when the enemy comes with an accusation like that, when I choose, or I'm sorry, when the enemy comes with a temptation like that, and I choose to follow, I make a choice to step outside of who I am to follow the temptation that is in front of me. It opens a door 
then of accusation to be brought against me. It's exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. And God calls out to them and he says, where are you? He comes to walk with them in the cool of the day and he calls out to them and says, where are you? When God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking you a question because he's wanting you. He's giving you the opportunity to take a survey and say, hey, what's going on around me right now? Something is off. So when God said, where are you? He wasn't like, oh, y'all, little, little deer, do you know where Adam and Eve are? Because I can't find them. He's asking the question because he's allowing them the opportunity to see that there is a separation that has come between him and them and the hiding has taken place. So the accusation comes then from the enemy, the accuser of the brethren. The accusation comes to me to tell me everything that I just did that was wrong. Everything that I just chose that was not good. Everything that I just chose that was outside of God's character and his nature and his will for my life. And immediately the accuser of the brethren comes to start telling me all of those things. And all of the accusations are true. I did it. I chose it. I'm the one that did it. I was there. (laughs) I know my choice. I know what I did because I'm the one that in my head thought it out. And it's like I'm standing there watching myself do it. So I can't deny it because I'm the one that did it. So therefore the accusation and the slander from the enemy that's coming at me, I feel like, yeah, that's all true because I I dunked it. I did it. So in that, the end game is not getting you just to sin. The end game was not just to get Adam and Eve to eat the fruit. The end game, the goal was to get them to sin so that when they sinned, They would step outside of their identity and stepping outside of their identity, they would lose their authority. It's the same thing that the enemy does with you and me is he puts something in front of us, a provoking situation, a moment, something that will be a temptation to you to get you to choose sin so you're not choosing God. And when you don't choose God and you choose sin, then you have opened yourself up to the accusations of the enemy to tell you how crummy you are, what a loser you are, what a disappointment you are, how you have no self-control. And then you begin to listen to the accusation that comes and you fade away in your identity in who you are in Christ. And that's not even the end game, but the end game is that you will step away from your identity so that you relinquish your authority. That's the end game. That is what sin is set in your path to do. That is what the enemy is after. He really could care less about your marriage. He could care less about your kids. He's looking for authority. And the only way that he can have the authority is if you give it to him. 
And one of the ways that we give him authority is through choosing sin. It's a choice. And we know when we do it because we were there. We were the ones that chose it. So it's really disappointing. I don't know. I don't know about you. Like when I step outside of who I know that I am, I'm extremely disappointed in myself. Like nobody can say anything to me that is going to be more wounding than the things that I'm saying to myself on the inside. Because I feel like I have not represented God well. That is heavy. Amen. You know what I'm talking about? So the enemy wants to deceive us into disqualifying ourselves. So let me just give you a few little, few little examples of how the enemy likes to do this is some of the things that I've heard. Some of the things that I've said to myself is, well, maybe, you know, maybe this sickness has come on me because I did this. Or maybe, maybe the doctor diagnosed, diagnosed me with this because I did this in my past. Um, maybe, maybe I can't find real love and maybe I'm not worthy of a real relationship because I didn't keep myself pure in the past. Maybe, uh, maybe I can't find someone who will be true to me and will be authentic to me because I have cheated in the past. Maybe, uh, maybe the enemy comes to say that the reason that you never have any money is because you're foolish and you're not smart. If you were smart, you would have more money. So you must be dumb or you don't have enough money, enough money because you just don't have enough faith. How many of us have heard that? accusation over any area of your life. You just don't have enough faith. Well, bless your heart. You just need more faith. It's that accusation that the enemy comes with. Um, as I'm saying those, I know that you can roll some of your own in your head. Those are just a few that came to my mind. I know. I remember (laughs) it was the first year that we started the church and a lady came to uh, asked Darren to pray for her. She had been diagnosed with something that there was no cure for. And Darren said, well, uh, let's, let's pray. And she said, no, or about praying for her healing. And she said, no, God, God is teaching me something. And Darren said, well, what do you want me to pray for then? And she says, well, pray for healing for me. And he said, well, if God is using this to teach you something, then how am I supposed to pray for healing? Because if you think that God is using this to bring you into his image, do you want me to interrupt that process? Do you see how our thinking gets twisted? Like, well, God is using this to bring me into closer uh, image of him. Well, then why are you praying against it then? You ought to just lay down and say, well, let the devil just run over the top of me then because God's using it. Here's the thing. God doesn't have sickness to give, so God doesn't give you sickness. God doesn't have poverty to give, so God doesn't give you poverty. If God doesn't have it, he doesn't give it to you. Now, the thing is, we give thanks through all things 
because all things work to the good for those who love him and who are the called according to his purpose. So even when we are walking through a diagnosis, God didn't give the diagnosis, but God can sure enough use it if I keep myself in front of him. Amen. So there's a, there's a difference. There's a difference in our, in our thinking there. I just wanted to, to point that out. So what ends up happening is if we think that God is using something or that I did something that's causing that or that God is, it's, it's like, it, it's like, uh, as a parent, you know, if your kids continually reach for the stove and you're telling them, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. You don't take your child's hand over and scald their hands so that they don't touch the stove anymore. We as human parents wouldn't do that. How much more loving is our heavenly father? So he doesn't teach us by scalding our hand or doing things harmful to us to teach us lessons in our life. He's a good father. So he teaches us in the best way. So the scripture says to us in Hebrews chapter four, and again, I'm going to read out of the passion translation. And it says, Hebrews 414 says, so then we must cling in faith to all we know to be true. For we have a magnificent king priest, Jesus Christ, the son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. Did you know that there's not a temptation that you face or a thought that goes through your head that disgusts God? There's not a temptation that you face that would be so disgusting to God that he would not be there for you in it. This scripture says that he sympathizes with us in our frailty. He understands humanity for as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just as we are and conquered sin. So now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. This passage right here is speaking to us earlier. I said the accusation that comes at me is true because I did it. The accusation of my action is true, but what the enemy will come at you is the accusation of your identity. So the accusation that I sinned is true, but the accusation that I am just a sinner is not true. The moment that I ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life and I receive the Holy Spirit to live and dwell on the inside of me, I am no longer just a poor sinner saved by grace. I am now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and there may be things that I'm working out in my salvation and I might not be perfect yet but I'm on a road to do so and God's grace covers me I don't take advantage of it I don't treat it lightly but when I make a mistake I am not a sinner I am the righteousness of God and the accusation against my identity is a lie and I need to recognize the fact that the enemy is coming at my identity because he wants my authority and And if he can get my identity, I will fail and I will not then come boldly before the throne of grace because I'm not worthy. He's looking to steal the boldness in our prayers. That is of the temptation that is set in front of you is to take away and to shut the door to the pathway of the throne of grace that is set in front of every single one of us. Sin comes to keep you from the throne. 
Sin comes to keep you from praying bold prayers. Because if I think that I'm a sinner, then I am going to somewhere, I'm going to agree with the accusation that my prayers don't move mountains. And when I pray and I don't see things happen the way that I prayed or when something doesn't happen the way that I wanted it to happen, then there must be something wrong with me. There must be something that I must have not prayed enough. I must have not done something right. Maybe, maybe I accidentally thought a bad thought about somebody in driving in Denver. Like who doesn't, you know, (laughs) but when we don't see our prayers answered the way that we prayed, that is also an open door that the enemy uses to bring accusation. Well, see, you're just not holy enough. See, you just don't have enough faith. See, if you would have fasted one more day. See, if you wouldn't have cussed at that person at work, maybe your prayer would have been answered. It's that accusation that comes that tries to take away our identity. When we do sin, when we do, the Darren pointed out years, I don't remember, years ago that in archery, when an archer shoots the arrow to a bullseye, if they miss the very center of the bullseye, the judge standing on the side says sin. So what sin is, is missing the mark. Sin is missing the mark of the high call of Christ Jesus. Sin is missing God's best in your life. So when we choose to go a different direction than God's best for us, sin, we're missing the mark. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been given the gift of repentance. Some people think that repenting is, I don't know, that it's a bad thing or, you know, that repenting is, oh, I just, I I hate repenting. Good Lord, I love repenting. Repenting feels so good. Repentance should be a lifestyle because when we truly repent, when we learn the grace and the mercy that has been given to us freely as we come to the throne of grace through the blood of Jesus Christ, not only are we forgiven, but the sin is washed clean. The sin is completely washed clean and it doesn't, we don't have to carry it with us anymore. But the enemy will remind you of it. The enemy will bring it up to you. Well, do you remember what you said in that meeting? Yes, I do. See, you're a big disappointment to God. Repentance is a gift. So do I give more value to the gift of repentance given to me through Jesus Christ Or am I placing more value on the accusation coming at me through the accuser of the brethren? That's my choice. That's the choice that I'm faced with. Conviction will always drive us to the throne. Conviction will always drive us closer to God. Shame will drive us away from God. That's how you know when you're dealing with something, when you're wrestling with something in your heart, well, is this the enemy accusing me of something or is this God putting his finger on something in my life? If it's causing you to draw closer and to get 
in the presence of God to pray and to ask God about it, you know that that is the conviction of the Heavenly Father drawing you close because he wants to get rid of every weight that would hold you back. Shame will cause you to run and hide. Shame will, ca- shame will cause you to go the other direction. Shame will make you feel guilty. Shame will make you feel unworthy. Shame will make you feel like you, like, okay, one more time I messed up. One more time I messed up. That's shame. It's a completely different conversation. So, Luke chapter 9, I'm just going to read verse 62. It says that Jesus, so Jesus is asking people to come and follow him. There's three different examples or three different people that he asks to come and follow them. And each one of them comes up with a different reason why they can't come and follow him. And here's his response to them in verse 62. Luke 9, 62 says, Jesus responded, Why do you keep looking backwards to your past and have second thoughts about following me? When you turn back, you are useless to God's kingdom realm. I didn't write that. He's letting us know no matter what it is, whether it's something that is a distraction to you, whether it's temptation, whether it was a choice that you made, if it's a sin from your past, if you keep turning back to your past and making your past bigger than the call that God is putting in front of you, you are useless to the kingdom of God. Okay. And here's the deal too. These accusations that the enemy brings, the enemy is very patient. He waits for the most opportune time. The enemy will wait until he brings the accusation against you for the moment that will cause the most destruction. The the moment that it will cause the most, if you think about it this way, is if you drop a bucket of paint, that paint splatter goes everywhere, right? That's what the enemy is looking for. He's looking for the collateral damage. So that when he brings accusation against you, it will cause you to disqualify yourself in a way that dropping a bucket of paint, that you not walking in your identity and your authority will cause the most amount of damage to all of the people around you. Everyone that the paint would get on. That's the collateral damage that the enemy is looking for. So I want to ask you a question. This was the question that uh, I was asking myself. Does my partnership with accusation against others reflect in my partnership with accusation against myself? So the more that I partner with accusation against myself is the more that I will partner with accusation against other people. The more difficult it will be to forgive other people, to have grace for other people, because I cannot forgive and have grace for myself. Because the Bible says that we're to love others as we love ourselves. So if we don't love ourselves with forgiveness and mercy and grace, we don't know how to love other people with forgiveness and mercy and grace. Because the scripture says to us in Luke chapter 637, Jesus said, forsake the habit of criticizing and judging others And then you will not be criticized and judged in return. Don't look at others and pronounce them guilty. And you will not experience guilty accusations yourself. Forgive over and over and you will be forgiven over and over. We can't fully receive and we will carry the residue of accusation if we are not fully forgiving other people. 
That is the other way that the enemy steals your identity. Because the enemy knows how to put something in front of you to bring up a hurt from the past. Can the enemy read your thoughts? No. Does the enemy understand when you pray in the spirit? No. But the enemy does hear every word that comes out of your mouth and he sees the way that you treat people. So he knows what kind of a temptation to put in front of you that's going to be the best one to cause you to stumble. And he knows what kind of temptation to put in front of you through other people that's going to ping. Right? But here's the deal. The Bible says that we are created in his likeness and in his image. The Bible also says in the image of God. The Bible also says that God casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. What is the measure of that? You can't measure it. That's why he says not the north from the south because you could measure that. But he says the east from the west. That is an immeasurable distance. He also says that he casts our sin into the sea of forgetfulness and remembers it no more. If we are created in the likeness in the image of God, that means that on the inside of us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the God-given grace ability to not only forgive, but to forget. How many times have we heard people say, well, I can forgive, but I can't forget. I'm not saying that you forgive and then act without wisdom. I'm saying that you have the ability given to you by God to not just forgive, but to forget, to leave it behind. First Corinthians 13 says that love holds no record of wrongs. That means that if we are walking in the love of God, that God is not holding record of our wrongs. So why am I holding the record of wrong against myself? Or why am I holding the record of wrong against anybody else? The Bible also says to us in Philippians that I forget those things which are behind and I press on to the high call of Christ Jesus. I forget those things which are behind. I forget the hurts. I forget the betrayal. I forget my sins. I forget my choices that caused me to come less and under than God's best in my life. I forget those things which are behind and I don't remember them anymore. I don't allow accusation to continue to be made against me in my thoughts. And I don't allow accusation to continue to be made against someone who has hurt me or has disappointed me or has betrayed me. I forget those things which are behind. And because of my identity in Christ Jesus, I have the authority to do that. Because of your identity in Christ Jesus, you have the authority to do that. The deceiver comes with the opportunity for you to choose sin. And sin is fun for a season. The Bible says so. (laughs) Oh, it might feel good in the moment to give somebody a piece of your mind. But I heard uh, Team Roper one time said, His dad told him, Bobby, don't give people pieces of your mind. You can't afford it. (laughs) It might feel good in the moment, but you're not going to feel as smart the next day. Sin is fun for a season. But here's, here's, let me, let me say this really quick too, is that if you are not feeling conviction by the Holy Spirit, then you're, you're in a dangerous spot. 
when we get to a place to where we can do things and we have no conviction by the Holy Spirit speaking to us, the Bible says that, that God chastens the children that he loves. That means that if we're stepping outside, if we're, if we're sin, if we're missing the mark of God's best, God brings us into alignment. God nudges us. God says, let's put a finger on this and let's bring you into a straighter path. Let's, let's get you into a path that's going to take you more directly from A to B rather than you having to take this detour around a mountain for 40 years in the wilderness like the, the, ch- the children did, right? So when we stop feeling those nudges from God, then we're really not in a good spot. I didn't give this scripture, but First uh, Timothy 4 says this. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Meaning that, we're in the days where people will be able to find an excuse and legitimize most behavior. And even use the Bible to do it. But that doesn't mean that that's what the conviction of the Holy Spirit is leading. We follow the conviction and the leading of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will always, always, always speak the word. The Holy Spirit will never lead you in a direction that is contrary to the word of God. That's why just reading and listening to your Bible is so important. Because if you know what the word of God says, you know when it's the Holy Spirit. That where it says that having their conscience, that is the physiological part of a human being that is able to choose between right and wrong. So having the part of their physiological being seared with a hot iron that literally means to cauterize so when something is cauterized it stops the blood flow it stops the flow of the blood of jesus christ over our conscience and when the life-giving blood of jesus christ is no longer flowing to our conscience we are in big trouble So if you are not feeling conviction anywhere in your life, you're like, hey, you know, I don't have any sin. I'm, you know, or I I used to feel bad about this, but I don't anymore. I can flip people off through Denver and I don't even feel bad about it. You really need to check yourself before you wreck yourself on that. Our hearts are supposed to be soft and tender before God. And the softer, more tender our heart is, the more God is going to move us. And here's, here's the thing is God, my two kids, two totally different ways of correcting them. One, I could look at sternly and they would cry. The other one could beat the wham out of them and they would be like, Hey, let's go. You know, like, you're, what? But that's the way God, God speaks to us. If you're one of those kids that like you don't listen, then God may, your, your lessons may come a little harder. Tune your ears to hearing and your lessons will come softer. When our hearts are soft to God, he doesn't have to speak so loudly. When we're tender to him and when we're close to him, we can hear his whisper. We can feel his breath. That's where we want to be in our leading with the father is so close that we just, we hear him breathe and that his breath guides us, that we don't have to be directed with a hard correction, that we can just be directed and corrected by his breath. That's the place that God desires for his kids to be. So 
This is a saying that I heard and I looked up. I don't know who first said it. It wasn't me. So I'm just going to tell you that. But there's lots of different things on who said it first. But I once heard (laughs) someone say, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Listening to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Listening to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because God has some place for you to go and he needs you to have your authority when you get there. So I want to read this to you. Romans chapter 6 and verse 21 says, So tell me, what benefit ensued from doing those things that you're now ashamed of? It left you with nothing but a legacy of shame and death. But now, as God's loving servants, you live in joyous freedom from power of sin. So consider the benefits that you now enjoy. You're brought deeper into the experience of true holiness that ends with eternal life. For sin's meager wages is death, but God's lavish gift is life eternal, found in your union with our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. Kevin, if you want to go ahead and come up. So these were the things specifically that I felt like God put a finger on for us today. And when I said, if you don't feel a conviction about anything than what I would encourage. And I'm not telling you, I'm not standing up here saying, well, you are a sorry sinner and you better figure that out. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is sometimes conviction can very simply be, Hey, don't take this job because I've got a better one for you. Just wait. It's that type of leading that we're looking for. Hey, don't get too invested in this relationship because I've got a better one for you. That's coming. So it's us being sensitive, feeling the breath of the Holy Spirit. So the areas that the enemy tries to come and tempt us, put a choice in front of us that we act out and choose things that are unbecoming of our character, unbecoming of our identity in Christ, one of them. And I'm going to read these off. And if it's if one of these is you, I do, I want to open the front for, because here's the thing is sin will cause you to try and hide. And this isn't an opportunity for you to say, Hey, everybody, <laughs> I really screwed up. Here it is. This is not, it's not what this is. This is a no judgment zone. What this is, is an opportunity for you to say, I'm not going to let the devil make me ashamed of that anymore. So I'm going to read some things off. And as I read these off, these are things that I specifically felt like God was putting a finger on as I went through the week and just praying for us as a church. And so if any of these apply to you, I want to invite you to be able to just come up. There's communion over here. If you want to take communion, I would ask if a member of our prayer team would come just to pray for people as they're getting communion or if anybody needs help with that, that somebody could just be there to help them with that. Um... But if one of these touches your heart, if you feel God's breath, then I want to invite you to come to the front and just you pray. This is just a space for you and God. If you want somebody to pray with you, come to the front and just like raise your hand up and a member of our prayer team will come and love on you and be there to pray with you. Um, If you want to stand right where you're at, but I'm asking you and inviting you to make a movement. Do something that moves you outside of the hold and the accusation that the enemy has been using against you and step outside of that. That's my invitation to you right now. So 
One of the areas of accusation that the enemy uses really well is anger and us losing our temper. When we lose our temper, we say things, we say words, and we can't take those words back. That weight is heavy and we feel it coming out of our mouth. And oftentimes those words of anger can be spoken to our children. Those words of anger can be spoken to our spouses. It's the people that we love the most and we know that aren't going anywhere that we tend to lose our anger with. The next is lust. We know the thoughts that are in our heart and Jesus very simply pointed out that if you so much look at another person with lustful thoughts in your mind that you've committed adultery. So it doesn't even have to be anything that you are doing on the outside, but there are images and thoughts that race through your mind through pornography or maybe things that happened to you as a child or things that you've been exposed to. And those images continue to race in your mind and the enemy uses those in the darkest places to bring accusation against you to tell you that you are not qualified and to tell you that you're dirty and that you should be ashamed. The next one is fear. Fear provokes us in a way that we feel like we need to be in control and that we need to be the one that is leading, that we need to be the one that's in control of the finances in our home, that we need to be in control of the relationships around us. And fear provokes us to a place where we do not trust God. The next one is lying. Lying can become a habit. Lying can be something that comes out. It's a, it's a spirit, a spirit of lying. And oftentimes it's just very simply a, a deception. We're just lying because we're lying to ourselves. We lie to other people. There's plenty of room. Y'all make yourselves at home. And the thing about lying is we know the truth. So when we lie, there is that voice on the inside that comes to say, you're lying. But here's one that is uh, more church language. How about exaggeration or embellishing? That's just nice words for lying. But exaggerating and embellishing is deceiving and it can become a habit. And oftentimes it's just simply birthed out of wanting to be important, wanting to be relevant, wanting to have something to share and wanting to be of value. And the lie that comes there is that you have to tell something bigger than what you are and who you are to be important. And that is a lie. The next one is judging others. And we know when we do it sometimes, (laughs) but I'm asking for God to soften our hearts this morning as a church community, that we are not a community that judges other people that carries a haughty spirit that thinks of ourselves as more holy than someone else or more deserving of something than someone else because we're not pointing out the sins and the shortcomings of other people. And the last one that I feel like God is putting a finger on is addiction. And I'm talking addiction of any kind. It can be addiction, sexual addiction, could be addiction to pornography. It could be addiction to substance. It could be addiction to money, addiction to spending, addiction to food. Anything that has more power over you 
then the Holy Spirit can be considered an addiction. Anything that you turn to to bring you comfort before the Holy Spirit can be an addiction. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for everyone who is laying their heart open before you right now just to be tenderized by you. Father, I pray for tenderness. I declare that our hearts are open before you, God, that we are easily moved in your hands, that we are the clay, and that we're easily molded into your image and into your likeness. Father, I pray for anyone who has never taken hold of their Savior, Jesus Christ, that right now in this moment, that they would reach out and take a hold of you and be born again in this moment here right now, that they would simply say, Jesus, I choose to follow you. I turn from whatever else I've been following and I choose to follow you and I give you my life. I give you my heart, whatever mess it's in or however great it is, God, I give it to you to do what you want to with it and to take me into your perfect calling for my life. And if you're doing that right now, just open your heart wide to God. And when you do that, he gives you his Holy Spirit, the comforter, the guide, and the helper to live on the inside of you. And this is the very spirit, the resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead, literally comes to live and breathe on the inside of you. You never have to try to make a decision on your own again. You don't have to try to maneuver life on your own. You have the Holy Spirit of God on the inside of you that moves in power. Thank you, Father, for everyone who is laying their heart open for whatever it is that the enemy brings accusation against you. Number one, right now, just take the opportunity to repent, whether you've repented a hundred times before and it's still hanging on right now, lay it before God and say, God, I repent. Very simply, your words. It doesn't have to be some fancy Elizabethan prayer. It's just very simply, God, I repent. The word repentance literally means to turn around. So I want you to say this, either whisper it to God or within your heart. Say, God, I turn away from what takes me away from you. And in my repentance, I run to you. I listen to your voice. And I don't listen to the voice of the accuser. I remind myself that I am loved. I remind myself that I am worthy of your love because of Jesus. And no weapon formed against me will prosper. Any tongue that rises against me, I will condemn through the love of Jesus Christ right now, if you feel like there is accusation from your past coming at you, that you're really, and here, there, there are other people sometimes remind you of your past and you're doing your very best, best to move ahead of it. But other people keep reminding you, I want you right now physically to take your hand and just brush off your shoulder, just brush it off. We break off all accusations from the past in Jesus' name. And we receive forgiveness in full. In Jesus' name.